Hello once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on this Monday, January 25th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. Chatting a little bit about the opening line for Super Bowl 55 between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. Spending the majority of today's show here on the college basketball side of the spectrum. Looking at signs of regression, fade and follow teams, and a handful of games here for this week on the college hardwood over at ats.io we got some super bowl coverage up for you already my opening line report for super bowl 55 is posted over there our official game preview also going up here right away early in the process and as we move forward we'll talk a lot of prop stuff both individual player props team props game props novelty props all that kind of thing props are the way to attack the super bowl so we'll see how those kind of get posted over the next couple of weeks but We will be talking about that a lot here on ATS Radio, as well as over at ATS.io. And of course, make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. Full article integration from the website. It's also a bet tracker and an odd screen. Full stats database to help you break down the games, the chance to buy premium model selections. Just a lot of helpful handicapping tools in that ATS app. So I encourage you to download that today from either the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, how's it going today, man? Doing all right. How about yourself, Adam? Doing very well, buddy. Appreciate your time, as always, here on a Monday. And let's go ahead and talk quickly about Super Bowl 55. You and I were kind of having a little bit of a powwow before the show on this game, sort of talking about what we wanted to discuss here with this one. And Initial money so far on Tampa Bay coming off of three and a half to three with extra juice on the Kansas City side. Total down a little bit as well to 56. One interesting talking point here that'll be, you know, it'll be overkill because everything is overkill leading up to the Super Bowl. But Tampa Bay, the first team to have a true home game in the Super Bowl, playing at Raymond James Stadium. The 49ers were in a Super Bowl at Stanford uh, about I think it was Super Bowl 14 or 15, something like that. The Rams played one at the Rose Bowl, of course, in Pasadena. But the first one here at home for a team, frankly, I don't know how much that matters in this game, though. Yeah, I don't know that it matters that much either. I, I'm not too surprised to see some money come in on Tampa Bay because we've seen Tampa Bay um, catch some money here in, in their recent games in general. So it seems like um, they're pretty popular and, and it's certainly not just public money. There are some sharp people taking Tampa Bay and they've won here a couple times in a row. Um, at the same time, you know, you go back and look at the game that they played late November. Uh, I wouldn't want to take Tampa Bay plus three. You know, if I got three and a half, I could kind of understand it, at least for a price grab. But I, I agree with you. We're going to hear so much about the, uh, home field advantage and obviously we're going to hear so much about Tom Brady Patrick Mahomes you know uh, passing of the torch type thing you know is this going to be Brady's uh, final Super Bowl and then he retires or uh, is Mahomes going to take out the the what most people think is the greatest of all time as far as quarterbacks Uh, it's probably going to be you know honestly I I love sports as a fan but it is a little bit uh, it gets a little bit old here and all the narratives in the two weeks before the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, by the time this game is ready to go, we're going to be dying for this game to get started because, you know, look, I mean, there's just, you know, the NBA and the NHL, they have, you know, sporadic COVID issues and things like that going on. College basketball is still making it work, but, you know, the Super Bowl is the biggest event of the sports calendar, the biggest singular event 
of the sports calendar and every angle, every narrative will be talked to death about the Super Bowl here this year. As you mentioned, back in week 12, this was effectively the line. I mean, it was three and a half or four, kind of where this one opened. Total got bet up from 54 to 56, peaked as high as 57 for that week 12 game, then came back down a little bit. So this line is is not really surprising at all. And, and we've seen some initial money, as I said, on the under and a little bit on Tampa Bay. We'll see some more here on Monday, I think. But beyond today, I mean, look, I don't think we see this line move at all, really. I think it sits three with extra juice, sits 56. It'll move if some team, if one of the two teams winds up with COVID issues or something like that. But I mean, this thing is just going to sit there dormant for probably the next at least eight to 10 days, I would say. Maybe as limits increase on game week, you get some market manipulation, something like that. But I mean, this is a line where there's just not going to be much to report on it. And I think, frankly, it's a good number. You know, I had Dave Sherapan on the show about a week and a half ago. I've been talking with him. He's got a, a long, extensive background working on the other side of the counter for the sports books. And, you know, he's always kind of told me, look, you want your first bet to be on the dog. You know, you want to know what your point of resistance is, where you can go to get money on the underdog if you need it. And it seems like, at least at the outset here, three and a half is a good number for that. And it seems like 57, at least in the early going, is the peak for the total. So the sports books set a good number out of the gate. I just don't think that there's going to be a whole lot of movement here at all. I agree. And, um, I think that's that's a good sentiment uh, saying that, you know, getting the three and a half was perfect because they get some money on the underdog. The public, I mean, what is the public going to like here? Because Tom Brady is, you know, a pretty big public favorite at the same time. Uh, the Chiefs look pretty good in their win yesterday over the Bills, I would say. I, I would be surprised if uh, Kansas City doesn't get a decent amount of money at minus three. So um, as far as the total, I think the total is probably going to sit right about where it is, like you said, maybe go back up when it gets closer to the game. But I agree with you that I think that this line is pretty much where it's going to be now for a long time. And it doesn't really surprise either one of us that the odds makers did a really good job putting a good number on this this game. Obviously, it's important for them to get it right. And it seems like they really did here. I mean, the Chiefs really played well in that game that they uh, played against each other back in week 12. Uh, bad beat for anybody who had uh, Kansas City minus three and a half in that game, certainly. But, you know, I think Tampa Bay is playing pretty well here at the end of the season. Kansas City, I mean, they they didn't have hardly any covers uh, for a really long time. They were just winning, but not by margin. Then they beat the Bills pretty easily, really beat the Bills by more than what the final score indicated um, on Sunday. So, I think Kansas City, you know, Andy Reid has been kind of known to do this thing where he doesn't use his best plays. You know, he kind of, uh, especially in the red zone, you know, they just kind of go with the vanilla plays and games that they're probably going to win. I think the good plays are back now. And um, I would be surprised if Tampa Bay can stop Kansas City here. At the same time, Kansas City's defense, while it looked pretty good against Buffalo, I could see Tampa scoring quite a few points in this game as well. So, I'm going to lean to the over. I hope I get a number better than what's there right now. Um, I could only bet Kansas City here, I think. Um, um, I would want three, obviously, instead of three and a half. But I think Kansas City is the better team, but I think the line's about right as well. Yeah, I'm looking for three minus 110 on Kansas City here. If I get it, I'll take a piece of it. And then, you know, like I said, mostly from my bankroll standpoint, I dig a lot into the props for the Super Bowl. I think that's where you can really – 
make some money there. I do worry about Kansas City's offensive line. Losing Eric Fisher is a big deal. At least they've got two weeks to kind of figure out what they want to do from a protection standpoint. And we saw the Buccaneers get in the kitchen of Aaron Rodgers. And that's frankly the only reason I think why Tampa Bay won that game. You know, Brady had the three interceptions on three straight drives in the second half. But Green Bay couldn't really stretch the field as much because Rodgers didn't have time. The defensive line played so well for the Buccaneers in that game. So that would be a concern for Kansas City. But I just think Mahomes with his mobility, two weeks to, you know, get that foot better. And, you know, obviously he looked pretty much fine in the AFC Championship game. I do like Kansas City here minus the three. A couple of things that I want to touch on real quickly so that we can get to a mountain of college basketball stuff we have. The last time the spread mattered, and what I mean by the spread mattered is that the favorite won the game but didn't cover. Last time that happened, Super Bowl, uh, what is this, 33, I believe, back in 2009. Uh, I don't know. I, I suck at Roman numerals. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, the Super Bowl in 2009, Pittsburgh was a seven-point favorite, won that game by four. The other times, 2004 and 2005, the Patriots won both of those, failed to cover both times. So usually what happens here is the underdog wins outright or the favorite wins and covers. It's not a situation where the favorite wins but doesn't cover the number all that often. So we get into money line wagering a lot for the Super Bowl. And what a lot of people will do is they'll take the favorite minus the points or go ahead and take the underdog on the money line. You don't see a lot of favorite money line plays in the Super Bowl when generally speaking from a, you know, from a from an odd standpoint, usually the favorite on the money line is probably the best bet you're going to be able to make as far as side total or money line goes for the game. That's not true right now seeing minus 165, minus 170 out there on Kansas City, but as you get some of that exposure for the sports books, some liability on Tampa Bay on the money line, we should see that price come down a little bit to where maybe you can find Kansas City minus 150, minus 155 on the money line, something like that. That's probably going to wind up being the best play in this game overall. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, what you think the best you get is. Um, minus 150 would be a pretty good number. I, I'm not sure if it'll get quite that low, maybe minus 155. I see this started at minus 180 or minus 175 a lot of places. So the fact that it is minus 166, minus 165, something like that right now, it already has come down a decent amount. And I agree with you, it'll come down some more. I think if it gets down to 150, some people will be taking Kansas City for a decent size bet. So um, we'll have to watch that one because like you said, people always want to take the underdog on the money line in Super Bowl. And uh, I agree with you that that usually is a pretty good value play. Also, you know, that that's pretty much what happened before is Kansas City had a big lead and um, blew the cover, but did beat them outright at Tampa Bay. So somebody's going to be thinking about that when they make uh, a bet on this game. So I, I think the money line will come down, but I, I don't know how low it can get in a game like this because the Chiefs do have a really high upside. So uh, let's let's see what happens. And I, I'm curious to see where this line will be next week when we talk. Yeah, minus 150 is too optimistic. You're right. Minus 155, minus 160, something like that. Uh, that's probably, you know, a pretty good look. And, and we'll talk about a lot of prop betting strategies as we go throughout the week here. And of course, next week, as we've got, you know, a lot more of those listed. And, you know, again, too, I mean, this is the first Super Bowl with a significant number of states. You know, last year, I think we had eight or nine states, something like that. This year, we've got more than 20 that are going to have wagering on the Super Bowl. So 
that's going to be really interesting, especially with people, you know, not willing to commute out to Las Vegas because the pandemic's still going on and, you know, all of that. So that'll be really interesting too, to kind of see how these sports books manage their risk, balance their portfolios, being in a variety of different States, you know, stuff like that. I think it's, it's going to be very interesting to kind of see how all of that plays out as well. All right. So with that, let's head over to the college basketball side of things here and Again, a lot of stuff to try and fit in over the next 45 minutes or so. Probably going a little bit of rapid-fire fashion, but I'll try to recap each little segment here as we go throughout in case you're writing down the notes, listening in the car, uh, whatever else here. But let's go ahead and start on the injury side of things. We like to talk about injuries that you know may or may not be getting some play out there in the marketplace, things that you want to be aware of. You've got a trio of injury notes here, beginning with the Bradley Braves. Yeah, Bradley is a, a team that I kind of wanted to bet here against Loyola. Um, I'm glad I left them off my card on Sunday because they didn't cover the spread. But the reason I didn't uh, bet them in that game and the reason I'd be cautious about betting them right now is they're without Boya and Deshaun Henry on the inside. Boya is an elite shot blocker. Uh, Bradley's a really good two-point defense. They defend the paint really well. Also, the more I've looked at this, and this this will be a discussion for another day, uh, teams that defend the paint have been very good ATS. You know, you don't want to give up layups, putbacks, things like that. Um, when we talk about things that are most most important, I think rebounding margin is underrated. And I think another one that we need to be paying a lot of attention to is who defends the paint, who doesn't give up those easy shots. Because even though there are more teams shooting threes, you can't give up a bunch of stuff at the rim and be good against the spread in this. So Boya is a really good shot blocker and it hurts them a lot. Um, Henry is a solid scorer and rebounder. Bradley's not an extremely deep team in the front court either. So uh, key injuries there. I'll, I'll roll through these here pretty quick. Richard Washington for San Jose State, their leading scorer. Look, we know San Jose State's a really bad team. They just won their last game without him. But I wouldn't want to bet on them to keep that up. Um, Washington is their leading scorer by a decent margin. And uh, San Jose State's not a good team at all. They're going to play extremely fast. They're going to lose by margin against quite a few people. Um, these teams that play extremely fast but are not efficient at all, I, I never really understand that. But San Jose State has been that so far this year. East Carolina, they played with only eight scholarship players against Memphis on Sunday, COVID protocols. And and to say it didn't go well is, is kind of an understatement. So East Carolina is a team that you got to be careful about. And I want to mention one more that I didn't have on my notes initially. Um, Iowa State, um, Prom mentioned that uh, he, there were several guys going to be not eligible for tonight, but he didn't want to say anything more about it. So Iowa State is a team that we don't really know who's going to miss this game unless the news is broken that I haven't seen yet. Iowa State, um, we don't know who won't play. And then Oklahoma State, obviously, Cade Cunningham is a question mark, and Cade Cunningham's their best player by a lot. So uh, some of these games, it's getting a little bit um, tough to know what to do because there can be some COVID protocol issues on both sides. Yeah, that's an excellent point, to say the least. And, and, you know, you look at the San Jose State situation, and we've kind of talked about that a little bit here in, in the past, both in written content as well as on the show, that there's kind of this superstar subtraction theory where, you know, when you lose your star player, everybody kind of steps up a little bit. And it might be a one-game bump, maybe a two-game bump at the most, but you look at a guy like Washington here, almost a 31% usage rate. The only guy that really consistently scores for this team, as you mentioned already, 
when you get their team page on Bart Torvik's website, virtually everybody else in the red, nobody else on this team does a whole lot offensively for them. So they get that one win. They have 1.237 points per possession. Their other two wins were both against lower division teams. They hadn't even scored more than 0.94 points per possession in a game against a division one team. That is the definition of an outlier. So by Thursday, if Washington is out, you know, I would expect Air Force, who's not a good team at all, you know, to have a much better amount of success against San Jose State than New Mexico did in that second game. So that is maybe they're kind of a fade team as we look as we go forward here, uh, depending on the status of Washington. Yeah, I would I would rather fade them than bet on them. That's for sure. And I also wonder if maybe under would have some value in some of their games because they do play fast, but they're so inefficient. And now they're without their leading scorer. So that would be something I'd have my eye on as well. That's always a good question, too. You know, when coaches lose guys, do they change the tempo? You know, sometimes you lose a big guy and the tempo increases because you don't have to worry about that guy getting up and down the floor. When you lose your floor general, a guy in Washington who, as I said, about a 31% usage rate, you probably want to slow down a little bit, I would think. You know, I don't know. Maybe not. We'll kind of see what they end up doing, but we'll have to get some more data points for that, of course, depending on how long he's out here. On the East Carolina thing, eight scholarship players. I mean, how how far in advance was that information known? Because I know it's tough to get college basketball info, you know, sometimes from the beat writers and all that. Uh, the specifics weren't known very far in advance at all. And I, I will be honest, that's that's what really bothers me about this year. You know, we had the same thing in college football. Now we have it in college basketball is that the unknown is so big, you know, that it's, it's hard to uh, – bet as many especially sides for me because you know if you take a side uh, i think east carolina was plus seven plus seven and a half at one point i don't know what that one closed but um they were plus seven uh, and i mean memphis is not really very good you know memphis has not played up to expectations and yet memphis blew them out 80 to 53 largely because east carolina didn't have hardly anybody i mean even some of their walk-ons weren't uh, available for that game so uh, east carolina really was in a world of hurt in that game and we're going to see some other teams be in that spot so so definitely be following all the beat writers that you possibly can and be uh if you hear anything like uh there's going to be some guys out but we don't know exactly who probably a good time to stay away from that game all right, there's one stat that you wanted to mention here before we get into some regression candidates and some fade and follow teams. And, you know, this is a team that I, I took a close look at recently out of the Atlantic 10, and that's Fordham. I mean, this is just – I can't really remember the last time I saw an offensive profile this ugly. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to bring it up for a couple of reasons. You know, um, a lot of times in college football, we have this one team that we kind of kick around, right? That we say, you know, UConn's defense from last year and Northwestern's offense from last year, something like that. Um, UMass at times has been that. But in, in college basketball here, we've got the Fordham Rams averaging 49.88 points per game through eight games. Um, that seems subpar to me. I mean, this is a, this is a team that their season high is 58 points. Their season high is 58 points. And I, I will say every single year, Jeff Neubauer, their coach says, we have improved shooting. You know, we, we're really going to be improved on outside shooting. We've got, we've recruited a lot better. We have better shooting every single year that turns out to not be true. So, you know, at what point do you stop believing that the fact that Fordham's going to have better shooting and, and I will say the other thing, the reason I wanted to bring this up is every time we see the Fordham number put up at maybe 122, 123, 
almost always it gets bet up and it gets bet up to 124 or 125 or something like that on the total. And nearly every game they go under it. So, I mean, Fordham under has been money in the bank the last couple of years. And as long as they keep playing like this, you can't bet an over with this team. So I wanted to bring this one up because sometimes people can be intrigued when they see a number like, oh, over 121, over 122. You know, that's not much for a Fordham game. That's that's quite a few. Something that's really interesting to me is that, you know, they played a very slow pace. I mean, you know, the, the guy, despite what he says publicly, obviously knows his offense isn't very good. And, and frankly, they should probably move on. I know it's about more than wins and losses. It's about, you know, being a mentor to these, you know, young men becoming, you know, adults and all of that. But I mean, this is a team that's been terrible offensively several years in a row, but it seems like they keep getting opponents to play at their pace. I mean, they played a lot of low sixties games. The one game they won against Dayton, they played to 58 possessions. Uh, Teams don't really seem interested in trying to speed them up at all though. Yeah. It seems like, um, they're one of those rare teams that even when they get behind, they don't really speed up their pace because they are usually behind. I mean, they're one and seven. Having said that, they have been at least fairly competitive in some of these games. And I, I think that there can be spots that Fordham plus the points could be of value because their games are so low scoring. If you're catching a bunch of points, I mean, they have a chance to cover the spread, even scoring 50 points. So um, they're a really interesting and unique handicap, and that's why I wanted to bring it up, is that, you know, they actually are pretty decent on defense. They force a lot of turnovers, Um, usually uh, above average defense, not a great defense, but they are just so bad on offense. They take a ton of threes, too. Not sure why, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they're shooting (laughs) 25.6% on them, so – Maybe you might want to try something else, but their three-point rate, 41.1%, 84th in the nation. So I just – I don't know if they just don't move the ball on offense, if they just throw it around the perimeter and, and make it easy for teams. I don't know, but it's uh, obviously not a very good look offensively there uh, for the Fordham Rams. All right, so speaking of offenses and speaking of shot selection, I guess that's a pretty good segue here into a stat that you wanted to talk about just sort of in general here that you know you, you do rely on a bit in that handicapping process. Yeah, we've talked about how I think that it it is um, valuable to figure out who's shooting from where from the floor, you know, who's shooting a lot of threes and right at the rim, you know, the, the rim and three rate has been increasing in its importance in college basketball. And the teams who are shooting more of those two pointers that are long twos, um, I, I think it's a bad uh, bad look for their offense, especially if they're not very good at it. You know, maybe some teams are getting wide open looks from those uh, farther out twos and, and they can hit a decent amount of them. You know, Virginia is a team that has been able to do that pretty consistently. They shoot twos that are good shots and they make them at a pretty good rate. But I wanted to bring up Bart Torvik's site, a uh, site that we reference here quite a bit on the show. There's a, a stat you can look at, you can filter it farther twos. You can filter by percentage of overall shots taken, or you can filter it by how good a team has shot at those as far as percentage-wise. I like to look at who is shooting the most of these and then kind of look for outliers on each side. Um, who shoots a lot of these but is no good at them? You know, I think that's a good under team or a fade team in my book because if you're taking a lot of long twos, um, unless you're really good at them, you're probably not going to score at a very high rate as far as efficiency. And uh, a team that is a perfect example of this is Jackson State from the SWAC. So far this year, farther twos are 44.4% of their field goal attempts. 
they're shooting 29.1% on those. So you're taking a longer two and you're shooting 29% on them. I mean, if that isn't the definition of a low percentage shot, I don't know what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, again, I mean, you just talked about it, how teams that defend the paint have been very good against the spread. I would presume that, you know, these teams that take a lot of these longer jump shots are just not teams at all that you would want to take a look at. And that actually brings me to take a look at a couple of negative regression candidates on my end here. And this was a tweet from Eric Haslam of Haslam Metrics. We talk about that site a lot here on the show as well. He had this tweet on uh, Sunday morning. There are seven teams in Division One that select the mid-range two for more than 40% of their overall field goal attempts versus the average Division One opponent. Only two of them are currently in our top 200, Xavier and Mississippi State. Now, Xavier is a team coming off of a COVID pause. They play Butler on Friday, assuming that they're able to do that. Mississippi State, they've already been struggling over their last few games. They've been a pretty good fade here of late, but they played Tennessee on Tuesday. And as much as we've kicked around Rick Barnes, the Tennessee Volunteers are an excellent basketball team here uh, this season. So speaking of that long two, speaking of low percentage shots, Haslam Metrics harps on it. We've been talking about it on today's show. Mentioned that you can find it over at Torvik. I think Xavier and Mississippi State, both negative regression candidates to a degree here because of that shot selection. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, if you look at the matchup on Tuesday night, um, without going too in-depth with it, you know, Tennessee, while they have been a good team, they've played really poorly in the last couple games here. They're coming off two clunkers. And this is a pretty good get-right spot for them against a Mississippi State team that's probably not nearly as talented. They're, they're certainly not near as talented as Tennessee. So I wonder what kind of number Tennessee is going to be laying here. I'm trying to look here as we're talking. It looks like Tennessee is minus nine or nine and a half in the openers. Um, only a couple books with the lines. But I certainly lean to Tennessee in that one. And I agree that Mississippi State and Xavier are, are good looks to fade. Well, and again, we talk about those shooting splits you can find over at Bart Torvik's website. Tennessee, 34.5% of their shots are further twos, and they're only shooting 39% on them. So maybe that's an under candidate as well. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Tennessee's a really good defense. They're certainly better on defense than they are on offense. So uh, Mississippi State likes to slow the game down. Tennessee doesn't necessarily run very much either. So if you get a total of 130 or, or higher than that, I think that's a good under candidate as well. All right, so as we take a look at some negative regression candidates on your side here, what are you taking a look at this week? So um, I have a couple positives because I, I want to be positive this week, Adam. We, we, say right. a lot of, we say a lot of negatives, so we got to say some positive. But the first we'll go with the negative one, Alabama A&M. They're allowing 17.3% from three-point range in four games. Um, I shouldn't need to tell you that Alabama A&M isn't going to give up 17.3% from three-point range for the entire year. This is going to regress in a big way. Same coaches last year, a lot of the same players. Be careful betting the low-unders with Alabama A&M and the SWAC. Um, SWAC teams play at a high pace. Uh, a lot of turnovers, a lot of fouls, things like that. But Alabama A&M is not going to give up only 17.3% from three-point range. So in the long run, I think uh, maybe some overs with them would have some value. And I see it looks like the over has been bet up a little bit in tonight's game for them. Yeah, about 
two points from the opener for Alcorn State and Alabama A&M. So I think that's probably likely to continue there. Well, again, like we said, you know, everybody wants to talk about the major conference teams because you know, that's what everybody has interest in. Well, we have interest in helping our listeners find some things that they can really make some money on those under the radar things that the odds makers aren't going to pick up on, aren't going to worry that much about because those are games that just don't get a ton of attention. Even things like Alabama A&M here, you're not going to hear that on other shows. So a good find there from you. I mentioned one team coming off of a COVID pause here this weekend, this Friday, I should say, and that's Xavier when they take on Butler. And again, I think Xavier, a decent fade candidate in that spot. You had a few other COVID teams listed here that are on a pause right now. Yeah, I wanted to bring up Michigan because they're on a COVID pause with the the new COVID variant. So I think they're going to be out for a good while here is Michigan. Michigan has been playing great basketball. We'll have to see what happens with their team coming out of that. But uh, Michigan with a really high upside. I like that team quite a bit. Um, The way they've been playing, Jawan Howard's been a tremendous coach for them. I think far better than anybody could have thought. And then there's several teams from the America East Conference, Vermont, UNBC, UMass Lowell, Maine. That conference is going to have a lot of games canceled soon. So if you want to bet the America East Conference, if you're specializing in that conference, pay attention because there's going to be a lot of uh, scheduling changes in that one. Yeah, and I think, too, that's something where, you know, we talk about East Carolina with only eight scholarship players, you know, kind of in the southeast. They're a a bigger swath of the country with the AAC. They're going to have different rules than the America East Conference to the point where the America East, they're probably going to be quicker on the trigger to cancel games. So, you know, that's something that you definitely want to keep under consideration there in the AEC. All right, well, let's, uh, I guess we'll go from COVID positive to positive regression. Uh, Not really the best of segues, I guess I would say here, but uh, we don't want to talk about some teams that, you know, maybe had an upswing here going forward. And one of them actually in action tonight, taking on Furman, and that's UNC Greensboro. Yeah, UNC Greensboro is 27.8% from three-point range. Now, I would say that this team's not a great shooting team. They're a good team. Um, They use a full-court press really well coached, but not a great shooting team, but 27.8% from three point range has got to improve. They're not, they're not a great jump jump shooting team, but they're certainly better than this. I think UNC Greensboro is a team that I'd much rather back than fade at this point. I think, you know, a team that was favored to win that conference that is kind of underachieved. And then, um, you know, they did come back and win at Chattanooga the other day with a really good finish, um, they outscored them by 19 points in the last 10 minutes of that game. Big game for UNC Greensboro and Furman because those were the two favorites in, in the SoCon. And um, I, I don't have a bet on that game, but in general, UNC Greensboro, a team that I would rather back than fade at this point. I'll throw one out here for you, a team that I'm looking for some positive regression from. And I think they're a good play on candidate here, both on Thursday when they host Pacific and on Saturday when they play at Portland. The Santa Clara Broncos, this is a team that's 12th in the nation right now in effective field goal percentage defense. Opponents only shooting 42.6% on twos. That's 11th in the nation, 30.6% on threes. That's 74th. What's been so difficult for Santa Clara this year is that offensively, they've been very bad. 44.4%, their effective field goal percentage on offense, 320th in the nation, They're 324th in three-point percentage. But last year, they were 61st in effective field goal percentage on offense. They didn't have a ton of losses. So 
I don't really know why this is a team that's struggling as much as it is offensively, but they are a very, very stout defensive team. I think we're going to have some good chances to bet on Santa Clara here coming up. Like I said, on Thursday against Pacific and on Saturday against Portland before they play St. Mary's and then a back-to-back against Gonzaga. So I'm going to play devil's advocate on this one because I like uh, it. I was going to say, usually we agree, so I'm going to disagree a little bit here because I, I kind of agree with you that Santa Clara's offense should get better, but I think their defense is going to get worse. So I, I don't know if they're a positive regression candidate overall or if they might kind of end up being a wash because Santa Clara's defense is 12th in effective field goal percentage defense this year. And the last two years, they were 104 and 131. I don't think their defense is going to continue to be this good. So I wonder, um, you know, and they did lose Trey Wirtz from last year, who was really a shot maker for them. I think their offense is worse than last year. I don't think they're quite as bad as what they look right now. But I don't know if Santa Clara is a team that I'm really excited to bet on either. So I'll I'll, I'll go against you on a, a bit of a head-to-head in that one. I don't know that if I want to bet against them, but I don't know that they're a team that I really want to bet on either. Sounds good. I, I like it. You know, I mean, it's always nice when we disagree on something. There's a lot of agreement here on this show, I think, because a lot of us just have really similar handicapping and betting styles and, you know, just sort of the way that we break down the metrics and all of that. But I like it. I like when we disagree. I, I will say, I mean, this is something that we talked about with the West Coast Conference probably two or three years ago. There are some very good coaches in this conference and that have gone through this conference. I think Herb Sendek is a pretty good head coach, but I can also see what you're saying, too, that. You know, right now they're very reliant on teams missing shots because they don't have a high turnover percentage on defense. So if that does regress and their offense doesn't get better, then yeah, this is a team that will kind of be, you know, out there on the lake without a paddle. Yeah, I think it's a it's um a team that I have a decent amount of question marks for. So I, I'm not excited to bet them. Uh I think that Santa Clara is um offensively limited. I think that they're, you know, a team that is trying to get to the basket quite a bit, but, you know, this is a team that really doesn't have very many good front court scorers. So, and obviously they don't shoot it well from three. I think Santa Clara is is still a bit of a question mark and, and let's be honest, the West coast conference is pretty top heavy. So Santa Clara could beat up on several of these teams at the bottom of the conference because there are some bad teams here, but I don't know that I want to bet on them too often. So um, positive regression candidate I wanted to bring up here also USC upstate from uh, the big South. So South Carolina upstate, um, according to Haslametrics, they're shooting 43.78% on dunks, layups, and tip-ins versus the average opponent. Now it's kind of hard for me to say that because how could you shoot 43.78% on dunks, layups, and tip-ins um, maybe they haven't had very many dunks. I haven't looked at that on Torvik, but, you know, I assume they haven't had too many dunks. Uh, they're not a very tall team, but still even layups and tip-ins, things like that. Uh, they're easily worse in the country in this, and this has to regress in a positive way. No no way any team, regardless of how short they are, is going to shoot under 44% from, from dunks, layups, and tip-ins. So I think this offense will improve, and I actually do think they have a lot back from last year. The Big Salsa Conference, I've been trying to cover quite a bit more here lately. I think it's actually a pretty decent one to cover, cover if you're wanting to specialize in, in um, small conferences because there are some beat writers who do a good job there, and you know it is pretty far under the radar. Something I think is kind of interesting here that over their last four games, they had two against Longwood and two against Hampton, 
29 three-point attempts, 27, 33, and 21. They're actually starting to rely a little bit more on the three, which, you know, when you've got positive regression expected on the offensive side, now you're taking all these long jump shots. That's a little bit of a concern. However, uh, they don't play here until Friday. They're actually going to have two weeks off uh, from their games coming up here on Friday and Saturday against Radford. But Radford, one of those teams that's usually pretty good in this conference. So if you do want to take a piece of USC Upstate, you're probably going to be getting quite a few points to do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, USC Upstate having that long of a break is not a great thing for betting them in the first game back or anything. But I think long term, this could be a team that has some value. So I guess I could say that this is kind of a team that I'd like as a long term follow as well. All right, let's see if you disagree with me on this one here, too, as we get into a fade and follow discussion. This one's a higher profile team, still from a mid-major conference from the Ohio Valley. That is Belmont. And I know, and I'm fully aware, that Belmont is easily, clearly, the best team in the Ohio Valley Conference this year. There's really no question about that to this point in time. However, Belmont has played the 338th ranked slate of offenses per Ken Palm the 333rd slate of defenses this week. They're on the road at Austin P and at Murray state. Now we talked about Murray state last week and how they're not on the same level that they usually are. And Austin P has taken a couple of steps back here as well. But when I look at Belmont, not really having been challenged a whole lot, putting together a very impressive statistical profile. As a result, I see them going on the road here with Austin P and Murray state. And I've got to think that maybe there's some fade potential here. I agree with you on this. I think Belmont's a team that is certainly very good. They're a very good offensive team, no doubt about that. But like you said, I mean, they have played such a weak schedule. They haven't played anybody good. I mean, who's the best team they've played against? Uh, By Ken Palm, the highest rated team that they've played against is George Mason. And George Mason, we, we know they're not really that good. So Belmont has not played anybody. I totally agree with you on this one. I think that Belmont will likely be laying quite a few points here at uh, Austin P. And Austin P is a team that's kind of underachieved. So uh, Thursday, I'll be interested in seeing what that line is. And I would certainly lean strongly to Austin P. Looks like Torvik's got it minus 6.6. Not sure what Ken Palm's got for that one. But uh, also, too, but you've got a Belmont team here coming off of playing SIU Edwardsville. They were 17 of 31 from three, 1.466 points per possession, highest mark of the season for them. So a little bit of natural regression coming off of, uh, you know, such an outlier there. So maybe Austin P, the governors, we may take a look at here uh, for Thursday night. Who's a team that you're looking to fade right now? So under the radar again, Sacred Heart. This is a really young team. They're six and four ATS on the year, but they rate 29th, according to Ken Palm and Luck Factor. Um, they're not efficient at all on offense. They still have to play the better teams in the NEC, um, Bryant, Mount St. Mary's. I think this is a good long-term fade. I don't think they can keep shooting at this rate and covering spreads consistently because they're not good at defense. So to me, Sacred Heart is a team that I'll look to go against. Sacred Heart pioneers. We should. I wonder if our listeners out there are hearing us rattle off these names and just going, I don't even know what the team name is. Like, I don't even know what the mascot <laughs> is, but we don't have any eutectics, no eutectics. on the show here <laughs> so far this week. So at least there's that. Uh, I mean, it's, so here's a question for you. And I, I don't mean to belabor this point. I know you've already been beating yourself up enough about it, but you know, January has been a tough month. You've had a lot of close, very unfortunate losses, foul fests, unders that go to overtime, those kinds of things. 
I know that over the last few weeks, you've talked quite a bit about some very under-the-radar conferences. We had multiple Southland references last week. I don't think we've had the MEAC yet, but we've had the SWAC. Uh, you know, we've gone pretty under the radar here. You mentioned the NEC. Uh, some of the conferences you've been trying to focus in on a little bit more. Is, is that by design? Do you feel like you're sort of finding more edges in those here, you know, even though you're having a tough month? Or is it just kind of the way that, that things have kind of played out with some statistical outliers and all that? Yeah, it is by design, but I would say I've done that in past years as well. So it's not something necessarily new. It, there are some conferences that I'm uh, growing to like betting in more than I did in the past because uh, conferences like the Southland, conferences like the SWAC, the the MEAC, like you said, we haven't had a MEAC reference. And I feel like um, that might be a challenge for coming weeks. We might have to do something like that. But um, I have found myself looking at conferences like the Big South, Southland, conferences like that, where a few years ago, I wouldn't have handicapped them very much because they weren't lined on a game to game basis, but now they are. And I think there is more value in those. I still think that's true, especially from a side standpoint. So I'm going to bet more sides in those really small conferences than I do in the bigger ones. Totals, I'm still going to bet some of the bigger conferences, but um, you know, sides I think are a much better value in the small conferences. I believe we had a Coppin State reference a few weeks ago. Okay. I, I think we did touch on them. But, yeah, let's make it a point to, to do something with the MEAC here uh, on next Monday's show. I'll throw out a follow team for you here, and I, I really like this one. I think it might be the, the strongest point I've made here on today's show, and, and hopefully it plays out. We'll see what happens here. But Coastal Carolina, they're a team shooting over 39% from three, 39.3%. They take a good number of them. Their three-point rate is 40.5%. So they shoot a good number of threes, and they shoot them very well. Their next four games, they got a back-to-back against Georgia Southern and a back-to-back against South Alabama. Georgia Southern is 331st in the country in three-point percentage defense. South Alabama, we've mentioned a few times here this season, they're 282nd in three-point defense but almost 58% of the shot attempts against South Alabama are threes. So I think from a stylistic standpoint, from a matchup standpoint, Coastal Carolina is getting two opponents here coming up in Georgia Southern and South Alabama that are just great matchups for them. I love this point. I really do. And in fact, I'm kind of bummed that you said this is your favorite point or the best one that you're going to say, because that's what I was going to say. I was going to say this was the single best point you had here. I love this one. When I was reading your notes for this one, um, really like it. You know, Coastal Carolina, a team that shoots well from three. I especially love that matchup against South Alabama. You know, like you said, they're giving up so many threes. South Alabama is a weak defensive team. They're not good at all on defense. Uh, not a team that really stands out as having any great home court advantage even normally. So I think Coastal Carolina in those games that are going to be uh, coming up on February 5th and 6th, I really like Coastal Carolina in those games. And if they're laying a short enough number, I think Georgia Southern's a good one as well. But um, I think that's a fantastic point. Friday and Saturday of this week for the Georgia Southern games, Torvik's got both of those lined at minus three. Uh, again, based on the matchup, I think that looks a little bit cheap. And then the South Alabama games on the road, February 5th and 6th, as you mentioned. I know people will be doing all their Super Bowl stuff, but file this one away. Uh, Torvik's got that one lined virtually in the pick'em range. So maybe a couple of good opportunities to back Coastal Carolina here. Uh, of course, you know, after a very strong football season for them, we'll see how their college basketball season goes as we move forward. Who's your follow team here? 
I'm going to go with Hawaii. Hawaii's played four of their first six games in the, in the league on the road. And we know they've not been a very good road team in the past. And even in a COVID year, Hawaii has a good home court advantage. We know that, you know, it's very unique to go to Hawaii. At the same time, they're 344th in Ken Palm, uh, Ken Palm and luck factor. So they've certainly been very unlucky. They've taken quite a few good shots that haven't really fallen so far this year. I think this is a well-coached team, uh, Aaron Gannat is a Gano Gannat. I'm not sure how you say that. To be fair, he's a um, a St. Mary's guy from under Randy Bennett. Certainly a very good coach. So I think Hawaii is a well coached team and one that is probably going to be undervalued in some of these games coming up. We're going to have some home games here for Hawaii where they're going to be catching points. I think that could be a good play. Yeah, they get UC Irvine here on Saturday and Sunday, and then they come back to the mainland to play San Diego and then go back home to host UC Santa Barbara, where they'll be getting points in that one as well. So the follow teams for us, taking a look at Hawaii and Coastal Carolina, the fade teams, Belmont on a short-term fade from me, playing Austin P and Murray State on the road this week. You're fading the Sacred Heart Pioneers. Then some regression candidates here. I think Santa Clara is a positive regression candidate. Kyle disagrees. We'll see what happens with their games coming up here this weekend. He's also looking for positive regression from UNC Greensboro. They're in action tonight against Furman and especially USC Upstate. And then some negative regression that we're looking at. Xavier coming off of a COVID pause on Friday. Mississippi State in a tough spot against Tennessee. And then Alabama A&M, another negative regression candidate for you here. So we've got a handful of games to get to to finish up today's show. We've already talked about a few games kind of in passing here today and a lot of good information I think on today's show so far so hopefully we can round it out in on excuse me a pretty high level let's go can I interrupt for just a second here sorry I I wanted to mention that UNC Greensboro and Furman just got canceled for tonight so I don't want people listening and saying well they said they were going to play so it just got canceled because of COVID so that that game won't be happening tonight Greensboro or Furman uh, UNC Greensboro was the notification. It looks like it must be from Furman. Yeah, Furman is the team that their games are canceled for this week. Okay. So, well, you'll keep that in mind then for Greensboro. Not shooting well from three, but they should get better. Uh, we'll see if they end up on a COVID pause themselves. But for now, I'll have to take a look at their next upcoming game. And that's the thing, man. Just these, these games getting canceled. I mean, it's uh, it's it's brutal. It's got to be frustrating, too, to put in the time to handicap them I know in the grand scheme of things, you know, relative to the pandemic, it's, you know, no big deal, but to handicap them and, you know, maybe find some line value or find an edge or something like that. And it gets wiped off the board. It's, it's disappointing that it's been over 10 months and we're still contending with all of this. It is. I I wish things were moving a little bit quicker, but you know, it's the world we live in now. So we do the best what we can with it, but I think we have some pretty good games here to talk about. So let's see if we can give some more good thoughts. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that here. And we go to Tuesday night, and I thought this one was pretty interesting between Dayton and St. Louis as we head back to the A-10. St. Louis off of a COVID pause, so obviously it's kind of tough to know what to expect from them here in this spot, but they are an excellent team. And Dayton does seem to be down quite a few notches, not surprisingly, from where they were last year. Dayton coming off of getting absolutely smashed by VCU, and that's a rivalry in the A-10 here. Dayton believes that VCU probably is their closest rival, and they lost that game by 23 points last Saturday. You think we get kind of a bounce-back effort here from the Flyers? 
I don't know what to do with this game. So I, I mean, Dayton lost by 23 points and they were down 66, 36 with two minutes left. So that game really was not even as close as what it looks. Um, St. Louis, like, I don't think I can bet them coming off of a more than a month break. You know, I mean, they're going to be laying what eight, eight and a half points. Uh, let me see this. I assume this is open somewhere. So eight and a half or nine points here for, for St. Louis, I can't lay that many points, but I'm not anxious to bet Dayton here. So I don't know. Maybe you have a lean in this one. No, I mean, I, you know, coming, I didn't realize the COVID pause was over a month. I mean, that's yeah, a hell of a long time. And I mean, they've only played, you know, they played Minnesota and, and wound up you know, losing that game. They didn't play that great of a schedule otherwise. So I don't really know, but you know, St. Louis does tend to have a pretty good home court advantage there in the A-10 because they're so far West. So, you know, we'll see if that winds up kind of becoming a thing for them. Uh, you got a couple of Wednesday games on your radar, I believe. What are you looking at here? Uh, well, the first game I have on my radar was Drake and Missouri State for Tuesday night. Tuesday night. Okay. Real quick, let's just say I'm not sure if I'm going to bet this game, but Drake has not um, lost against the spread so far this year. And what are they, 13-0? and And they haven't failed to cover a game yet. Um, that's really unheard of. But now they're coming off a of COVID pause. They go to Missouri State, a team that's really pretty good. Gage Prem, a really good player for Missouri State. Uh, Mosley, a good player as well. I think Missouri State certainly has a chance in this one. Now, I see the opening line of three and a half in this one. I hope Drake gets bet up in this one because I would be leaning toward Missouri State here, but I want more than three and a half points. So let's see if everybody wants to bet Drake because they've covered every spread or if everybody wants to bet Missouri state because they're off a of COVID pause. I'm really interested to see what the market does in this one. Here's a question for you in terms of teams coming off of a COVID pause, how much of an adjustment has been made to the line, you know, like relative to what you've seen? Yeah, I think there's a one and a half or two point adjustment on average is my thought. And, and it is getting shaded in the favor of the team that's been playing versus the team that it's off the COVID pause. So I think that, uh, the odds makers, the betting marketplace, everybody realizes now that you can't place the same power rating on a team when they haven't played for a month that you would if they'd been playing every time. A good example of that is even tonight with Southern Illinois and Indiana State. Indiana State was opened at minus seven. They wouldn't have been minus seven if Southern Illinois wasn't off a of COVID pause. So, you know, I, I think that you see quite a few examples of that. And this one, I'm going to lean to Missouri State. I hope I get more points than this and maybe I'll play it. If it's three and a half, I'll probably just watch it. But uh, I think it's an interesting game. Certainly. Here's an interesting game for me on Wednesday. This is the first game on the board. BYU at Pepperdine. This is going to be a 12 o'clock local start time here for this one. So an early game, excuse me, (laughs) in a rematch of Saturday's game, Pepperdine was 14 for 44 from two, five for 22 from three, Lost that game by 11 on Saturday at BYU, 65 to 54. Game played to 70 possessions, only 119 points, only 18 turnovers, 18 offensive rebounds. Maybe we look for an over here in this one? Yeah, you're right. That's a really fast pace for that kind of points. You know, if they put a low 140s on this one, uh, I I would consider the over. I, I do think BYU is a lot better on defense this year and not as good on offense. But, uh, you know, they are playing pretty quick. Pepperdine really pushes the tempo. And in a game that you would think could be a little bit closer than that one, right? Because that one was at BYU. Now this one's at Pepperdine. 
uh, the spread here will probably be six and a half or something like that. And that's perfect in that foul range. It, some of those foul fests can get pretty epic. And, uh, you know, I know that all too well at this point. So I, I think over is probably a good look in this game. All right, so we go to a game that you're looking at here for Wednesday, and we talked about Boise State. I talked about Boise State being, you know, maybe a negative regression candidate for me, kind of a fade team, simply because they were about to step up in class, and it looks as though that's going to happen here this week. Yeah, I I think Boise State could be a good fade this week against Colorado State. Now, I believe this is one of the back-to-backs, right? Or they they skip a day in between. So um, uh, unless they're doing something different, that's what the case in the Mountain West has been every time. Wednesday, Friday, it looks like. Wednesday, Friday, yeah. They, they, instead of doing back-to-back, have been taking one day off in between. Um, But I think here in the first game, I'm going to look to Colorado State. Now, the, the thing that concerns me a little bit is I wish Colorado State hadn't just won at Utah State. You know, if they hadn't won at Utah State, we'd be getting really good value on Colorado State here. And you could argue it's a letdown spot for Colorado State. At the same time, Colorado State, Nico Medved is a really good coach. We've talked about him for years, you know, before he came to Colorado State. um, He was proving that he was a great coach even at Furman. And then at Drake and now Colorado State, every year his teams outperform. I think Medved's a tremendous coach. And like you said before, Boise, well, I think they're actually a pretty good team. They really have not played anybody. And and this is a big step up in class. This is at altitude. Boise is not a particularly deep team. I think Colorado State could be a good look here. And if Colorado State doesn't cover the spread in the first game, I will really like them in the second game in this one. So let's see what happens. But I think Colorado State could be a good bet on team against Boise. And as we said, we're looking at Wednesday and Friday here. I believe both those games on CBS Sports Network. So people will be able to watch those later tip-offs of the evening. Uh, Let's go back to what we do best here, man. We'll go deep under the radar and take a look at the Wednesday game between Stephen F. Austin and Abilene Christian. So this is probably the the strongest look that I have and the most like a premium look ahead. I can't guarantee I'll take this one because I'm not sure what the line will be here. Adam, if you could take a look and see what Torvik has on this game. Ken Palm has five. So Stephen F. Austin plus five, Abilene Christian minus five. I'm going to be surprised if it's minus five. I hope it's minus five because I want to take Stephen F. Austin in this game. I think the Lumberjacks are the best team in this conference. I think that they have really played well in these last few games. Uh, One of my wins from the other day was taking them against Lamar. They won 102 to 72. And I'm not going to say too much about it because it's pretty painful. But one of my losses from last week was Stephen F. Austin against Northwestern State. Stephen F. Austin um, held the ball up 15, took a shot clock violation. Um, I had minus 13, 13 and a half. Northwestern State rolls the ball down the court with five seconds left and nets a three with like two tenths of a second left really a pretty classless move when the other team just just held the ball and took a shot clock violation to try to not run up the score but to be to be fair I really think the Stephen F Austin team is really deep um, I think their style of play is very tough they attack the the hoop with reckless abandon I mean they get to the free throw line more than anybody else in the country really tough to guard um, I think Abilene Christian laying points here is is a team I'd go against um, like I said, I don't know that we see five in this one, but if we see something like Stephen F. Austin plus five, I have to take them here. Torvik's got it six. So maybe, maybe you do get a five, you know, hopefully. We'll see if that winds up being the case. By the way, Stephen F. Austin at Northwestern State on February 24th, and they may be out for blood, given what <laughs> happened at the end of that game. 
uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. And they are a team that if they want, they can be out for blood because, you know, as you said, they are, and then they have been a very consistently strong team there uh, in that Southland conference. One more game to take a look at here. And, you know, look, we love doing the under the radar stuff. We absolutely enjoy being able to talk about a lot of teams that you won't hear about on other shows. But also when you get a game like we've got here on Friday night between Iowa and Illinois, it's very much worth talking about. Yeah, it really, really is. And, you know, I've, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I really think Iowa could be overvalued by some people. I wish Iowa hadn't just lost to Indiana at home. I know I said that about the other game as well. Um, I think Illinois is the side that I would prefer to have in this game. Illinois has got to be at least somewhat desperate at this point, right? I mean, they haven't really played badly, but a lot of people thought Illinois might be the best team in the Big Ten. And so far this year, you know, they, they have slipped up a few times. And this is a really big game for them. Iowa is really not good on defense. So I have two leans in this game, Illinois and the over. Now, I know the over is going to be really high. We're probably going to get 161 or 162 or something like that. So it's not going to be cheap, but I think this game should be really high scoring. Uh, Both offenses have a big advantage. I don't know who... Uh, you know, can stop Garza on a consistent basis. I know Kofi Coburn is one of the best as far as uh, on defense, but still Garza is going to get his points and Illinois should be able to score a lot here. Um, Iowa's defense very weak. And as I've said before, I really don't think Iowa is a final four team. A lot of people have said how good Iowa is and they're, they're a fun team to watch. They're a good team, but I think they're not good enough on defense to be a real serious contender to win the national title this year. Maybe this is a bad comparison, but I sort of think about this game in the same context as the Alabama-LSU game we talked about last week, where LSU is a great offensive team, but they're not good defensively. 143rd in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Torvik. And, I mean, they got run off the floor in the first half of that game. I don't know if this one plays out the same way, but the statistical profiles of the two teams, you know, kind of mirror what we saw in that Alabama-LSU game. Yeah, I agree with you. And I I mean, you had a good call on that one for sure. And I have to say, you've had some really good thoughts here on this. And to be honest, I, I've really enjoyed doing these college basketball segments even more because Adam has been diving pretty deep into the college basketball handicapping. And, you know, to be able to bounce ideas off each other, I think it's been really fun. And I think uh, I know s- several listeners have reached out that they've been able to to get some good information from this. And that's always what we want to hear. Absolutely. And a lot of great information on today's show with professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And what's the good word over at the website right now, man? So you can check out all my premium packages over at huntersportspicks.com. Um, discounted season subscriptions. Uh, as as we've said, I've been running really bad here of late. As long as I keep getting the closing line value that I've been getting, I really think this will turn around. So, you know, maybe it's a good buy low point on me. I don't know. I mean, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe that would be the way to look at it. You know, um, I'm certainly disappointed. The results have been what they are. And if you're listening and you have my, my uh, season subscription, I apologize. Things have gone the way they have. I'm certainly working hard to try to improve things as we go forward but my premium packages are available over there for discounted prices you can also get free picks from the free picks newsletter over at huntersportspicks.com and also follow me at kyle hunter picks on twitter i'm gonna be doing some first half betting i think i might even release some of my numbers over on twitter for people to just kind of see my insight on some of the games so you're a positive regression candidate this week right i'm i i certainly hope so (laughs) Kyle, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate your time. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, man. Take care.
There you go. There's Kyle Hunter again, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Coming up on Tuesday, we'll chat with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Early Super Bowl thoughts. Golf tournament this week is the Farmers Insurance Open, so we'll discuss that and also talk some NHL with you on tomorrow's show. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.